won't bother me to bother us too much while I uh, while we do this. But uh, we're going to look at Romans three, verses twenty-one to thirty-one again. Um, we did a part one last week, and uh, basically we talked about righteousness. We talked about a lot of big words, right? Uh, we talked first of all about righteousness. That uh, righteousness is a way of describing um, the the right way to live before God, the way to describe how we were meant to live, how God created us to live. It's God's standard for us that none of us, none of us achieve. None of us are righteous. That's what the first couple chapters of Romans tell us. No matter how religious you are, no matter how irreligious you are, all of us stand before God unrighteous. We don't have righteousness, and yet we need it desperately. We need it because without righteousness, we cannot know God. We cannot live in a healthy relationship with God. We can't count on the fact that God is with us and that, he, that he's on our side and that he's working for us without righteousness. Without righteousness, we, we live lives that are very dysfunctional and unhealthy, and they're frustrating. Without righteousness, we live lives that are empty and leave us longing to be filled, to be satisfied. Um, we live lives where we don't feel significance and worth the way that we were meant to. And so we looked at these big words last week, right? We talked about propitiation, if you were here. If you weren't here, uh, propitiation is a big word that describes a sacrifice that is put forth that, that turns aside wrath, that turns aside judgment. So that's what Jesus came to do. He came to die on the cross as a propitiation, as a sacrifice for us that turns God's wrath away from us, that shields us from the judgment that we deserve because of our unrighteousness. We talked about justification, this, this big word that, that really means um, to, to declare somebody righteous, even though they're not. It's, it's, to, it's, to, it's to treat a person as righteous. That's what justification is. And that, that through Jesus and what he's done, God declares that we are righteous. He says, I'm going to look at you and treat you as though you were perfect, as though you were just as perfect as Jesus. That's how I'm going to look at you. That's how I'm going to treat you from now on. That's what God does when he justifies us. And we talked about redemption, the fact that Jesus came in order to die, to pay the price to set us free, to set us free from a life of emptiness, from a life where we are, where we are enslaved to our self-centeredness. And he sets us free to live lives that are different. And so we talked about how God accomplishes righteousness for us through these ways, through propitiation and justification and redemption, and it's all centered in the person of Jesus. It all happens in and through Jesus. And so what we're going to talk about this morning more is how do we receive that righteousness, and how do we live out that righteousness in real practical ways in our lives, in our daily lives? What does it mean to receive the righteousness of God and to live it? So listen to God's word again as I read Romans 3, 21 to 31. It says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just 
and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak. And we pray, Father, that as we look at your word now, that we would listen, that we would listen actively, diligently, carefully, that we would be receptive to what you want to say, and that we would um, apply ourselves to your truth. That we wouldn't just look and observe, but that we would interact with it and be changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have a vivid memory from when I was pretty young. Um, I remember going over to a friend's house to play at their house. And um, I walked in the door and immediately I was, I, I noticed something very different about this house than my house or any other house that I'd been in. Because as I stepped in the door, there was like the crinkle of plastic on the floor. And I looked down the hallway and there was plastic all along the hallway on, the, on top of the carpet leading from the door to the kitchen. And then I stepped, you know, a couple more crinkly steps on the plastic and I looked in, in the living room to my right and I saw the couch and it was covered in plastic as well. And I, I'm, I was young and, and I, I was like, this is very strange, very foreign to me. But I, I immediately, you know, figured out the purpose of the plastic was to keep my you know, grimy feet from getting dirt on the carpet and staining it and keep my, my sticky, grubby hands from getting stuff on the couch while I was there. But it was very different from anything I'd ever experienced. And, and I, 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 uh, I looked around, and, I, and, and it was like, to me, it looked a lot more like a museum, you know, a, a, just a, a place to be, to, for, for things to be displayed rather than a, a place to be lived in, right? And uh, not, you know, making any judgments against any of you who have used plastic on your stuff, okay? It was just different from my experience. But, but that's what I felt like. It was like a museum. It was a place for displaying things rather than a place to be lived in. And uh, I'm afraid to say that this is how some, if not a lot of us, treat our religious beliefs. Um, we agree that God exists. We learn to say that Jesus died for me, for my sins. But um, when it comes to living in light of all of that, we, it just all stays under a nice sheet of thick plastic. And we don't really interact with it as we live. We don't really um, live in it and live because of it, you know? It, it just, it's for display purposes only kind of in our lives. I mean, that, one of the things, as, as you read this passage, it talks about how the righteousness of God, it says the righteousness of God has been manifested, right? The very beginning, it says, or in other words, the righteousness of God has been displayed. And a couple more times, it talks about how God shows his righteousness in the way that he accomplishes righteousness for us. And, and so in a, in a sense, what, what God does through Jesus by sending him to live a perfect life for us and to die on the cross to pay for our sins and to rise from the dead, that all displays the righteousness of God. 
and we should be in awe and wonder of what he does. And yet, I think a lot of us end up just kind of leaving it under plastic and not really embracing what it means for me today. How is it, how do we get to the point where we really receive this righteousness that God has accomplished for us? How do we live it out? And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we receive the righteousness of God, first of all? Um, well, first, I think we need to realize that this righteousness is not something that we can do anything to get. We can't do anything to earn it. We can't do anything to work for it, to pay for it. It is a gift, right? That's what he says right here in verse 24. He says that we're justified by his grace as a gift, right? That is how God justifies us. That is how God gives us righteousness. It's as a gift. How do gifts work? I mean, when somebody gives you a gift, you don't immediately turn around to them and say, how much do I owe you for this, right? You don't make sure, like on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve, whenever you open your presents, that you make sure you have enough cash in your wallet to pay for everything that everybody gives you, right? Gifts are given and received. They're free. And that's the very first thing we need to recognize about how do we receive the righteousness of God? We need to, we need to simply just come to God with open hands and say thank you. It's not something that I can work for. And over and over again, he talks about we, we achieve this righteousness, we experience this righteousness not by works. He says it over and over again, right? Paul says that everything that God does and gives is a gift. It's apart from the works of the law. He doesn't give us his forgiveness. He doesn't give us his love. He doesn't give us his presence because we do enough of the right things. Because we obey him enough. Because we're trying hard enough. None of that is what gains us the righteousness of God. None of that is what gains us the favor of God. He wants to simply give it to us as a gift. That's it. And so when I wake up every morning, I need to believe, first of all, that God's disposition towards me is to want to give me more of himself. That's one thing I need to get, wrap my head around. That as I look towards the, the, my day, it's, it's not about doing enough so that God will be on my side. It's not about like making sure I don't do enough bad things so that God's going to be against me. It's just to know that God is absolutely excited about giving me more of himself more of his presence, more of his goodness. I need to count on him giving me himself as a gift. But now once the gift is received, it doesn't, received, it doesn't do any good unless you actually use the gift or put the gift on or play with the gift, right? Have you ever given something to someone? Maybe it's a piece of clothing, a sweater or something, and they're like really polite, and they say, oh, thanks, that was really nice of you. And then a week or two weeks or three weeks go by, and you notice they never actually wear that thing that you got for them. Did you ever, does that ever happen to you? Maybe it's just me, because I'm not very good at giving gifts, but, uh, and Kim's too, you know, polite to, to say. She didn't really like it that much. But I'd rather they'd say, you know, let's, let's return it or something. But, but it, it's not, do you really, have you really received the gift if you're not going to use it? Right? If you're not going to wear it? if you're not going to play with it. And so God's gift of righteousness is not something meant for us to, to just put on a shelf and display. 
and to admire. It's meant to be used. It's meant to be used. And I would say this is where this word faith comes in. Over and over again, he says the word faith. Over and over again. Did you notice how often the word faith came up in these 10 verses, 11 verses? It says over and over again that, that the way that we, we, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe in verse 22. Um, in verse 25, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Over and over again, verse 26, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, what becomes of our boasting? Is it, it's excluded by, the, by what kind of law? By law of works? No, but the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, in verse 28, apart from works of the law. It goes on and on, verse 30. He justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Are you getting the point here? Faith is essential for us to, to, to receive the gift of God's righteousness and to live and to wear that gift of righteousness. We need faith. So what does it mean to have faith? I think one of the best, best ways to simply translate faith is just to, to translate it as trust. To have faith in Jesus, to have faith in God is to trust him. To believe in Jesus is to trust him. That is something he invites us to do every day of the week, every minute of every day, to trust him. To trust what he has done for us. To trust what he says about us. To trust what he's going to do in us. It's to trust him completely with everything. So first of all, we need to trust Number one, what God has done for us and really, really believe it, really trust what God has done as opposed to anything else that has happened in our lives. When when we talk about this, we're coming back to this word propitiation, right? This fact that Jesus has sacrificed himself to pay for our sin, to, 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 to shield us from the judgment of God so that because Jesus has died for me, I no longer have to pay for my sin. God is not going to, to, to kind of, hold me accountable anymore. He's not, he's, not gonna, he's not gonna punish me anymore for anything that I've done in the past. And that's what he says. And so I need to trust him that that is actually true. I need to trust him that he's not going to, he's not gonna define me by my failures in the past, by the things that I feel guilty about, by the things that I'm ashamed of. I need to believe and trust him when he says, no, your sins have been paid for. My wrath is satisfied in the death of Jesus. And so you're free from guilt. You're free from shame. Don't let your mistakes in your past, don't let your failures in your past define you. Let go of them. No matter how recent they might be. Let go of them. Does this mean that our sin doesn't matter? Of course it matters. Of course it is important. Of course we need to grieve over the ways that we fail to love God and love others. We need to repent of it, but we need to be careful that we don't, we don't let it define us. We don't carry it around constantly with us because God says it has been paid for. I'm not going to make you pay for it. There's a real freedom that comes with that. A real freedom. And so we need to trust 
that Christ has been offered as a sacrifice for my sin, and no matter how I have sinned or fallen short, I no longer have to pay for it. I no longer have to carry it as a burden. I have to learn to trust what God says about me now, right, right now, above all the other voices in my life as well. We talk about this idea that, that we are justified through the work of Jesus. Again, what did I say before? To be justified is the fact that, that because of Jesus Christ, God says, you are righteous. You are acceptable. I delight in you. That's what God says. He says, you're my child. I couldn't be more pleased with you. You are precious to me. That's what it means to be justified. Even though I know that I am far from perfect, I know that I've, I've failed over and over again. I know that I've sinned against him and I will continue to sin. But again, I need to, I need to listen to God's voice that says, I couldn't be more pleased. Just as you are right now, I couldn't be more pleased with you. Everything else in my life, all the other voices in my life, around me, in, in my own head, say, I'm not enough. I need to be better. I need to be smarter. I need to be a better dad. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better pastor. Think, think about all the ways that I've, I've messed up, that I've fallen short. It's easy to let those things, those voices be the loudest in my life. But what I need to do is I need to trust God's voice that says, you are enough. That's what it means to be justified. He says, you're righteous. That's it. And I have to get in the habit of trusting what the Spirit of God is going to do in my life in the future. Because he has redeemed me. God has redeemed me. As I said before, to be redeemed is to pay a price for something to set that thing free. Right? Last week we talked about how, how often they would, they would talk about a slave, a person who's been in slavery. They could, somebody could pay a price to set that person free. And so this is the image that, that God uses to, to talk about what Jesus has done for us. He has paid with his life in order to redeem us, in order to set us free from a life of slavery and a life of emptiness. When God talks about freedom in the Bible, often he, he talks about being free from guilt and free from shame, but one of the things that, that over and over again that he talks about, when he, when he, when, what he means when he talks about freedom is that we are set free in order to begin living differently, in order to begin living the way that we were created to live or the way that we were meant to live. That's where true freedom lies. To live a life that reflects who God is that reflects who God made me to be as, as the, a one made in his image, that reflects his love and his compassion and his justice and his goodness and his mercy. That's what it means to be truly free. It's to, talk, it's to start living in a way that reflects him. And this is what Jesus has done. That to, he sets us free by his death and resurrection and the work of his spirit in, a, in our life. As you see, before the work of Jesus in your life, we all have this same problem where we are enslaved to our, ourselves, our selfishness, you know, to insisting on my own way, to being conditioned to think of myself first before everybody else. But when Jesus redeems me by the work of his spirit in my heart and my life, he, he makes me new and he, and he makes it possible for me to begin speaking differently, 
to begin thinking differently, to begin making different choices to love people in a way that is more healthy. That's what Jesus redeemed me to do. And so as you wake up in the morning, again, as you think about the coming day, it's exciting to think about the opportunity you have to make different choices, to reflect the beauty and the glory of God in the way that you treat the people around you. You have the power of the Spirit working in you to actually forgive when it's beyond you, to show patience when otherwise it would be so easy to just fly off the handle and lose my temper, you know? to show self-control when otherwise you've, you, you've, you've proven yourself to, to be so lazy and controlled by other things. And so we have an opportunity. As you, as you look towards the coming day, you need to count on the fact that the Spirit of God is working in you to help you to actually notice the people around you and how to love them best. You need to count on that. You need to trust that the Spirit of God is going to be there, that the grace of God is going to be there for you, to become different, to not be the same person you were yesterday. And so we're already getting into what it looks like to, to live out righteousness as we talk about what it means to receive righteousness, right? To receive righteousness is, is to receive it as a gift by faith, by trusting what God has done, what he says, what he's going to do. Because this is the thing, receiving the righteousness of God and living it out are completely intertwined. But there's, there's one more thing that I want to kind of make a point of that this passage alludes to. And it has to do with uh, verse 27 when he talks about boasting. How do we live out righteousness? And, and it's, it has a lot to do with boasting. Um, I got to just admit that I, I get a lot of, or I'm really indebted to, to what I'm going to say now about this idea of boasting to the late Tim Keller. Um, through a lot of his sermons and through his, his commentary on the book of Romans, um, he says some, I think, really valuable things. In light of, um, when, he, when he, Paul starts saying, you know, what, is, what becomes of our boasting? He talks about how the word boasting comes from the battlefield, where soldiers would tell themselves that they were bigger, that they were stronger than the other army in order to, to give them the confidence they needed to win the day. And often they wouldn't just tell themselves, they would tell everybody else. They would shout across the battlefield to the other battle line, to, to the other soldiers on the opposing um, army. You know, you're nothing, I'm everything. You're small, I'm big and strong. If you remember, if you guys are familiar with the story in, in 1 Samuel 17 of Goliath, when he faced off against the Israelites, what did he do every day? He came out and he just shouted at them over and over again, you're nothing. Look how big I am. Look how massive my weapons are. None of you can handle me. He would just come out every day and just boast. And uh, Keller puts it this way, what you boast in gives you confidence to go out and face the day. It is the thing that helps you say, I am somebody because I have that. I can beat what comes against me today because I am this. What you boast in is what fundamentally defines you. It is where you draw your identity and self-worth from. So, we tend to boast in all sorts of things as we live our lives. So we, we boast in, we draw our identity, our self, our self, our, 
sense of self-worth from all sorts of different things. And it changes even throughout the week, maybe even throughout the day. You know, we, we, boast, um, we boast in and, and get our identity. Uh, we fundamentally are, uh, define ourselves by our success, by our title, by our job, by our relationships, by the people that we're close to, by our children, our family, by our wealth, by the things that we own, the things that we have, um, by our intelligence, by our sense of humor, you know, all sorts of things, that are, our talents, our skills, the things that, that, that we believe we're good at. Those are the things we boast in. Those are the things that we draw strength from that help us to face the day, right? I've, um, you know, um, sheepishly admitted before how, you know, one of the things that I'm so often tempted to boast in is my, um, uh, my exploits as a rec soccer coach. You know, uh, Kim and I have been coaching rec soccer for so many years, and we're still coaching and feeling really old. But that doesn't mean we're bad. I mean, we're tremendous coaches, really. I mean, I'm talking about, I'm talking about nine-year-old soccer, you know, rec soccer. This isn't travel. This isn't elite. This is the kind of soccer where they don't know which way to kick the ball. They're often, like, kicking the ball into each other. They steal the ball from each other, even though they're on the same team. Um, the, this is the kind of soccer we're talking about. But I pride myself in the fact that I think we've only lost one game in the last two seasons. We've been dominating. We've been dominating. And it, and it really is due, it really is due to the tactical genius of the coaches, for sure. For sure. I tell myself that every Saturday. We won another one yesterday. But, but it's, I mean, it's funny, but, but it, it's true. There's this little sense of me, like, when, when we win... I feel better that day. When we lose, it's hard to shake. It's hard to shake. It's just a tiny little thing that I boast in, you know? It's so silly. It's so silly. We boast in all sorts of things. I, uh, when, I remember when I was in college, I think one of the things as I look back in college that I really boasted in in college is um, a ton of people, I knew a ton of people in college, and, and a ton of people knew my name. And so when I walked around campus, Everywhere I went, it was just people being like, hey, Jeff, hey, Jeff, hey, Jeff. And, and I looked back at it, and I was like, yeah, you know, I, that's really where I got a lot of my sense of, of worth. Just the fact, I, and, and I noticed this because I, when I was a senior, I got involved with a group where I, I got to know a bunch of freshmen, and I was walking around campus with one of the freshmen once, and they were like, how does everybody know you? Like, they were so impressed. And it just so happened that I, I was just like, kind of nice, and I didn't, wasn't really offensive to anybody, and I had friends who knew a lot of different people, and so I knew a lot of different people. But, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's how I got, you know, the confidence to live life and have some sense of joy. And, uh, but we do. We boast in all sorts of things. We draw strength from all sorts of things to, to get the confidence even just to face this day. What is it that you are boasting in? Where are you drawing your sense of self-worth and your significance and your value? Paul says here in verse 27, he says, what becomes of our boasting, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. What he's pointing out is that he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people who, who they, he was, he was saying, one of the things they were tempted to boast in was the fact that they had the law of God. God had given them his law, they were special to him because he had revealed his law to them. And not only did they have his law, but they were really good at trying to, to keep his law. 
you know, whether it was all of the ritual things, this, like circumcision and, and all the days and, and feasts and everything like that, or, or just trying to obey God's commandments. You know, they even added laws onto God's other laws to make sure they were trying to obey them all. And so it was e- easier for them to say, I am somebody because I am Jewish and I do the right things and I'm, you know, doing my best to do what God wants me to do. But Paul says, listen, the only way for you to actually receive the favor of God is not by doing the right things because you can't. It's by receiving it by faith. And so you have no grounds to boast in the law. But having said that, um, there is something that I think Paul would say that you should boast in. And he does say it in other places, right? We sh- he encourages us, don't boast in anything else, but there is one thing that is worth boasting in. That is in Jesus. It is in who he is and in what he has done. And it, it is in how he has loved you. That is what we must learn to boast in. That is what we must learn to draw our sense of self from. From Jesus, all that he is. And how he loves you. That is where we need to boast. That is where we need to draw strength in order to face whatever we are dealing with today. That is the only thing that will hold us up. So we need to get in the habit. How do we live out righteousness? We need to get in the habit of boasting in Jesus every day of my life. Every circumstance. To know that, that because of Jesus, no matter what else is going on in my life, I am God's child. And I have him. And that is enough. And that's it. So, we go to a lot of places with our kids um, because our kids love to touch stuff. They love to climb on things, as you can imagine. I'm always really astutely attuned to any sign that says, keep off, don't touch. You know, always like just trying to hold back the kids, keep my hands on them because they want to climb on everything. Um, I can't tell you how many times, whenever we go in a store, how many times Kim and I both said, look with your eyes, not with your hands, Right? They don't understand what, what it means to, to, to just observe and to, you know, just look at something that's a display only, you know. And that's why going to a museum where, where you know, all it is is just, you know, you're just supposed to look at stuff and enjoy it, that's like, that's got to be like my worst nightmare where we would take our kids. <laughs> but funny enough, th- there is one museum that is, I, I think is probably my favorite place I've ever taken our kids. Um, if you've ever been to St. Louis, there is a museum called the City Museum. And it is a museum of, uh, like, there's all sorts of structures and sculptures and, and, like, huge things that are, like, built into the rooms and the walls and, and everything. And, and they are meant to be climbed on. That's the whole purpose of it. You know, you walk into this one room, there's, there's like, this structure that you can climb up into, and there's this, if there's a hole, you're allowed to claw, crawl into it if you can fit in it. And you can easily lose your kids in this place, but it's, but it's awesome. It is awesome. Out in front of the, uh, of the front door, there's this like three, four-story structure made of metal, pipes, and, and planks, and fences, and at the very top of it, there's this old-fashioned airplane. And it's this beautiful, like really interesting-looking structure. And the kids will spend all day 
just climbing all over that thing, contorting themselves to like fit between bars. And, and it's, it's, it gets really hard to follow them around the older I get as we've gone to this place. But it's meant to be climbed on, to be experienced. That is what God wants to do with his righteousness for us. It is meant to be climbed on, to put, to put our weight on it and to live inside of it to live inside of the fact that he has given everything to pay for our sin. The fact that he says, I love you, and there's nothing greater than my love. And you can't do anything <laughs> to, uh, to lose it because of Christ. The righteousness of God is displayed in Jesus and what he has done, but he means not only for us to behold it, but to climb on it and to climb into it. And I urge you to commit today to figure out how to do that. To climb into it, to trust what God says above all else. And no matter what else is going on in your life, to, to, to draw your strength, to draw your identity from him. All that he is. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for um, this passage. Um, and we thank you for this message, this incredible message of the fact that the thing that we need more than anything else, your righteousness given to us, your acceptance, your love, it is not something that, uh, that we need to or can work to get, but it's something that you want to give freely. Help us to receive it by faith. Help us to receive it by trusting in you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we now have an opportunity to, um, to do a little climbing into the righteousness of God.